I really value being able to step back and say, this is my research area. I want to continue to build this. But I also want to talk to my community partners and really learn what's important to them. What do they care about? How can we find synergies in the things that, you know, maybe I want to ask just a little question in that, but mostly I'm focused on really achieving their goals. And I love that I can I can do that, which is very rewarding to me. It's very like fulfilling, you know, data stuff's from for the nerdy side of me, but the community engaged stuff is so much fun because I actually get to, again, work with people. Welcome to Health and Human Science Matters, a podcast by Colorado State University's College of Health and Human Sciences. I'm your co-host and digital media strategist, Avery Martin. And I'm Matt Hickey, Associate Dean for Research and Graduate Studies. In our college, we make it our mission to optimize human health and well-being through discovery and innovation. Don't just take our word for it. Each episode, we sit down with people who fulfill that mission, our college faculty and staff. And today, we're lucky enough to have Megan Mueller with us from Food Science and Human Nutrition. Megan, welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, we're glad we, we were able to work this out. Life, of course, is, is you know, complicated. And yes. so we're, we're happy to, to be able to have this conversation. Yeah, I'm glad course. to be here. And we're happy for you in general. The, the family is always an exciting piece of the puzzle. So. Yes. Yeah. Got a bundle of joy on the way. A bundle so. of joy on the way. <laughs> Excellent. Good to celebrate. Yeah. yeah. So, Megan, as we were talking about before we came on our, we want to get to know you as a scholar and as a person. And, of course, the, the looming motherhood is part of the person piece. Yeah. So we'll, we'll start with some of the scholarly stuff, though, if that's okay. And so, yeah. you know, we're interested. When you think about your scholarship, what are some of the big problems that, that you seek to address and, and what kind of impact are you hoping to have? Yeah. So in terms of the health outcomes, the big problem I'm focused on is obesity prevention in children and families, okay. um, which – now will become a very personal Indeed. thing for me as well. Um, and I always say my research takes more of this policy systems and environmental approach. So really thinking about the context within which we live, what we're dealing with in our busy lives, and how our environment can really shape our behavior. So thinking about um, a lot of my work is in the restaurant space, how restaurants and other food retailers can um, situate in neighborhoods, how within those um, food retailers we can um, be influenced by how menus are constructed, for example, or the type of words that are on menus, and really get a deeper understanding of what are those cues in our environments that can shape our behavior, and also how do people interact with those cues? Do they, do they even notice them? Is that sort of a conscious thing for people? And how can we empower individuals and communities to really um, be part of social change, be part of environmental change, be part of policy change, and um, hold businesses accountable to what they say they're doing in the health realm as well. This is so great. And again, it plays into this unfolding story that's been so fun in, in the two seasons we've done this. We, we have such a diverse college and, and a, a range of scholarly interests that focuses on this broad you know, healthy people and healthy communities kind of story, if you think about it as a tagline in some ways. And so the conversations about, but, you know, labs are not always, you know, with, with beakers and <laughs> way boats and, and yes. pipettes and these kinds of things. I, I think the range of research that, that uh, is done in this college is really interesting. So for you, the lab is, is out there. As it's you talked out about there. It's policy. And yeah. It's, uh, it, it might even be food deserts and it, yeah. it can be the way in which 
you know, marketing is oriented often towards, of course, something other than, than health. As right. You know. And so there can be a sense of, of being like a salmon swimming upstream right. sometimes. I suspect yeah. you feel like there's Oh, a, definitely. A and it's really interesting to dive into some of these things and think about how they specifically impact communities of color or mm. low-income communities and can perpetuate health disparities. Um, so it's it's definitely something I'm really passionate about thinking about our our world and and how it how it influences us as people. You know, and access to healthy food is is part geography, but it's also part sort of checkbook. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we can talk until we're blue in the face, and, and often the audience will go, "Well, yeah, but right." Yeah. I, I mean, even if I wanted to, right? It's too expensive. Mm-hmm. It's not accessible. Exactly. Exactly. So thinking about what are those barriers for people. How can we, as public health practitioners, as health practitioners, support them through that lens as well? So some of my work is focused on time poverty, this idea of, you know, it's not just economic poverty or lack of resources in terms of money, but, you know, certain individuals, certain families also face this um, pressure to you know, work multiple jobs and not have the ability to pay for those time-saving things that maybe a more well-off family might have access to. So that's also something I'm looking into. Fascinating time poverty. I haven't heard that phrase before, but it's it's a rich one. Yeah, it is. It's very powerful. So tell us a little bit about how you got interested in the questions that are, are consuming you as a scholar. Yeah. So I think, um, like many academics, I get excited about a lot of things. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you could ask my lab group and they would tell you the same thing. And we're all very excited about a lot of things, which is great. It gives me energy to do what I do every day. But I I actually had sort of a circuitous route into uh, nutrition. So Mm -hmm. my my undergrad degree was in biology and environmental studies. Mm And where was that, if you don't mind me asking? St. Olaf College, small liberal arts school. Yeah, where they really encouraged us to also be thinking about topics in a very like complex, interactive way. And I I wanted to be an ecologist. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, I don't want to go to med school. Everybody in biology goes to med school. (laughs) I want to be different. It was like my rebellious streak. (laughs) It was like the worst thing I did in college was to not go to med school. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to be in ecology. And I did this summer undergrad um, research experience. It was an REU at the University of Minnesota. Mm -hmm in plant pathology and microbial ecology. And that lab was really interested in this topic of green manures. So this idea that on on fields you could use existing um, bacteria that is protective against pathogens. And they weren't doing that work actively, but I was just like, this is like sustainable agriculture. I, I need to do this. You know, this is kind of, very big food systems type stuff. And I loved it, but going back to your point about bench versus community science, I think the last straw was like I was cleaning out the minus 80 freezer and I was like, I cannot do this for the rest of my life. Um, so, and I just, I I needed I needed to like connect it to people somehow. I, I, I like working with people. I like talking with people, um, even though, from a science perspective, it's 
so much harder to work with people. Um, you know, the living laboratory is much more complicated. Than many more variables, for sure. <laughs> so many more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I think, you know, but that was also a little exciting for me. It's kind of a challenge. And um, so between sort of that experience, um, a couple economics classes I took in undergrad that were on kind of globalization and poverty and economics of food systems, I I got into this sort of obesity question of like kind of tying food systems to a health outcome and to people. Mm. Um, and then I did my MPH at the University of Minnesota mm -hmm. where there's this great group of researchers working on obesity prevention work and I had was very persistent about getting opportunities to work with many of them. Um, in fact, my advisor at one point was like, is there somebody here you haven't worked with? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's great. That's great. I just wanted to do everything and, and try to take advantage of as many opportunities as possible there. And I think that's sort of when I really kind of went into more of the space I'm in now. Um, so I did my PhD at Tufts with um, Christina Economos. Uh -huh who's done a lot of community-engaged work in obesity prevention, um, children and families, and has this sort of systems thinking type approach as well. So I, I just learned so much from her, and I still use that framework and the thinking that I learned at Tufts today. Now, I, I want to push this conversation a little further because we're always interested in sort of this mentors and moments kind of notion in terms of, of pathways, right? So, yeah. you know, these, these may be family mentors that, that long preceded St. Olaf's. It could be somebody at St. Olaf's who began to sort of spark a fire in you. What, what, what you know, even led you to say, I, I want an MPH? Was, was it this really sort of autonomous? Was there a mentor involved in this process? How did you end up at Tufts in particular? Were yeah. Because often when we think about PhD mentors and postdoc mentors, it's people. Yeah. Who, not where, right? Mm -hmm. Where is sort of a secondary issue. Yeah. Ways, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I So because I went to this small liberal arts school, I had some very good faculty mentors that I would sit in their office. You know, we'd have office chats for hours. <laughs> and I look back now, I'm like, wow, that was such a luxury that not every mm -hmm. student has. Um, and I tried to also be very as much as possible, um, generous with my time with students because it really shaped who I am. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to give that, pay it forward to give that back. So I, I had, I was in plant pathology after undergrad working and again, like the minus 80 thing, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I got a job with the Department of Veterans Affairs actually, which was, um, I was on the benefit side. It was my first introduction into epidemiology really mm -hmm. as a concept because mm -hmm. it's tying service um, experiences with health outcomes basically. Yeah. Yeah. So that was sort of an interesting, you know, thing that was helpful that I didn't necessarily think would be. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to stay kind of working at the VA, even though I thought it was a great organization and really important work. Um, it, topically, like I, I didn't have as much passion about um, just giving, you know, vets like checks for 
what they experience in service. I kind of wanted to do more prevention. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I could do it with the vet population. Like that could be really cool, but I I need, I wanted to be more on that side of things. Now, was that in the Twin Cities area? Yeah, Uh the St. Paul Regional Office. Yeah. Just a quick question. Is that home? Is Minnesota home for you? No, I'm from St. Louis actually. Yeah, and I I don't even know. I think I had friends at St. Olaf. And I visited and I was like, this place is awesome. Mm. <laughs> and I went and I, yeah, I was in Minnesota for eight years. How about that? Okay. Um, Great. Yeah. So if it's like home-ish. <laughs> do you miss it? I do. I mean, I, I like Minnesota. I don't miss the winters. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I think it's, it's a, you know, the summers are lovely. The people are really nice. Yeah. I, I do still have family. My husband's family is in Minnesota, so I get to go back. Oh, so good. Okay. I miss it, but I get to see it when I want to. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And Colorado's not half bad, right? Oh, Colorado's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was at the VA that the MPH began to Yeah, so I, I was I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do and I met basically with this professor that I had formed a very strong relationship with and she sort of helped me figure out just based on my interests and our conversations and what I was thinking about, you know, that I wanted to do, she helped me figure out that I wanted to do the MPH. And I just, I just applied to Minnesota. Um, It's a great school, so I'm glad I got in. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, it was, it was really lucky. And then when did the, I want the PhD sort of light bulb go on? Yeah. So it's funny because as a, an undergrad, I thought I wanted to go the full, you know, PhD route. Um, and then when I was working at the VA, I was like, you know, it's a, it's a good job, <laughs> like good benefits, like it's a nice life. I could do this. I could do government stuff, but maybe more on the prevention side. So that's what I was thinking when I went into the MPH. And then again, I had another mentor, my advisor, um, Kim Robin, who could see that I was just a curious person and I got excited about asking questions about the world and, um, you know, and I was like decent at statistics and that kind of stuff. <laughs> and she was like, you should think about a PhD. <laughs> so, so I think between that and then these research, the research experiences that I got there, uh, it really solidified that that was something I wanted to do. And then did you apply just to one place for your PhD? <laughs> no, <laughs> I applied more places. <laughs> yeah. Um, that would have been very lucky, though, Indeed. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. One for one on both. That's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's impressive. On a roll, right? Yeah. So, um, but I, I do feel lucky that I, you know, got to go to what was a top choice school for, for me. For you. Yeah. That's great. And that was an individual whose work you had been engaging with, as is often the case. Yeah, it was. It was. It was interesting. So something I've noticed just jumping around institutions is how. We learn so much about the faculty that are at that and the work that they do, you know, that are at that institution. So you really get kind of a deep dive into, you know, the expertise of, you know, Diane Newberg-Steiner, Mary Story or Bob Jeffrey at Minnesota and um, Simone French. There's so many good people. And then, you know, I I think we had like had maybe one or two papers from Chris Economos there, but it wasn't until I was looking at PhD programs that I was like, really diving into the work of other people in the field, like trying to kind of expand my scope. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's sort of 
when I had come across her work, which is obviously very impressive. Good. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And so tell us about the problems you were pursuing as a PhD student, your dissertation work. What did that entail? Yeah, yeah. So I, I was actually focused on restaurant um, related work there as well. Oh, okay. um, but it was more along the lines of interventions targeting families and sort of creating communications campaigns and social media campaigns around uh, sort of simple messaging about, you know, things that moms can do in particular to um, promote healthier choices for their kids in restaurants. So that was one of my chapters. And then I also looked at a couple questions around trends in the availability of healthier options in restaurants and how those were associated with policy changes that were happening at the same time. Like, is there pressure that restaurants feel just from the discussion of policy, not even necessarily passing policy that would cause them or would lead to them, promote them to make healthier changes to their menus. Interesting. Yeah. So, and then I, I was lucky to also work with um, a large regional restaurant chain while I was there called the Silver Diner. Mm. And they gave us access to basically their whole point of sale system. Wow. Which was kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah. And so they had implemented a Healthy Kids menu um, in April of 2012. And they just wanted to know, like, does this matter for what kids are actually ordering? Mm -hmm. And so I was involved in several papers. Um, you know, Chris Economos was the senior author. And then Steph Ansman Frasca, who's at Buffalo, was the lead author on, on those looking at you know, how that affects choice or what kids are ordering, both immediately after this healthy menu change and then over time, two years after. And then for my dissertation, I looked a little bit more deeply about kind of patterns of how kids were ordering. So yeah. if kids order fries, are they also likely to order soda? And then if they order soda, can they sometimes get strawberries? Like mm -hmm. just sort of getting an idea of what are those kind of co-occurring behaviors that happen within children. And now I'm doing some stuff on like kind of the words, you know, the sort of health or nutrition related type words that restaurants can use when they're describing menu items. So really mm. thinking about, you know, is that promoting people to choose specific things if they're thinking more along the lines of wanting a healthier option. So I have to ask you, being a nerd with a capital N, you know, so <laughs> so has behavioral economics found its way into menus in terms of thalers, you know, nudges and, and what have you, right? Do we see any of that? Or is yeah, that, yeah. So that that was sort of the impetus for that initial study with the Silver Diner was they were using these healthy defaults okay. um, where you automatically pair uh the healthier side or beverage with an entree mm -hmm. so that it's it's just what it comes with. It's like instead of coming with, which is what we expect, fries and a soda, <laughs> your burger now comes with strawberries and milk. Interesting. So, yeah. Yeah. Really cool. Yeah. So right. it's sort of interesting. So you're a doc student and you're thinking to yourself, what's next? Where, where do I go from here? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, my postdoc was at UCLA uh -huh. with Mei Wang, okay. and I was lucky there to do work in this technique called um, agent-based modeling. It's a type of system science where it's actually quantifying these interactions between people, their environments, their biology. Like you can go as deep as you want to with these models. Mm -hmm. um, and with this, we were looking at 
among um, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program for Women and Infants and Children, so WIC, mm-hmm. uh, among those participants, there was all this stuff happening over the last 10 years um, to prevent obesity among WIC children, low-income children. And so we wanted to know, you know, what of these interventions or this co- these combinations of interventions are effective? Because we saw in the data, we had data for basically all participating WIC children in the Los Angeles County area on their obesity status. And we saw declines um, over time. And we wanted to know, like, what is, what's helping? (laughs) Why are we seeing this? Because there's all this money being thrown at it, all this programming being thrown at it, which is great. Um, But we, you know, they're sort of coming from disparate sources. Nobody's talking to each other. So we were trying to to Uh quantify this, basically. But that was a complicated task. Super complicated. <laughs> and again, it goes back to this like exciting mm-hmm. interdisciplinary work where I got to work with computer scientists and epidemiologists and you know other nutrition folks and community members to really help build this model. Um, so it was like a very, yeah, hard, <laughs> but very rewarding task. And how long was your postdoc? Uh, two years. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. And then what happened? And then I came here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I was lucky enough to uh, get a job at Colorado State (laughs) in food science and human nutrition, where I'm now an assistant professor. So when did you join our faculty? Uh, 2019. So right before COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So So. an an atypical adjustment for many of us, although one shared by a number of of career folks all over the country, right? Yeah. And I'm lucky I have lots of other men, like, I guess they're, yeah, I would say co like we are at the same stage, but we mentor each other. Um, People that I can talk to that have, you know, been through similar things. So. (laughs) Yeah. And and who supports your work? What are are agencies that, that help Megan do what she, she yeah. wants to do as a scholar. Yeah, so I have funding through the American Heart Association. Uh-huh. Um, it's a career de- development award. Great. Yeah, and that is looking at um, this corporate social responsibility. So when companies or restaurants or food companies commit to social issues, including health, um, does that actually affect or is it associated with what they're offering to customers? And then are those restaurants that have those kinds of positions really just locating in higher income neighborhoods? Like, are they just offering healthier options to and promoting health in like a higher income area? So I have funding there. Um, I also was lucky enough to get the Agricultural Experiment Station grant. Um, yeah, for some community engaged work mm-hmm. that will be starting this summer. Um, it's really been sort of a long process of working with community members. Um, to define research questions and, you know, develop tools and all that, that sort of stuff. So that's been going on for about a year, um, just with the help of a student and my own <laughs> excitement about it. Um, and you, and then your we'll, collaborators in the College of AAC, right? If yeah, we have, right yep, mm-hmm. in um, economics. Yep. Yep. Okay. yep. So that's looking at food insecurity mm-hmm. in uh, a mountain resort region, um, like the Aspen region in Colorado and trying to understand of sort of differences in how people experience food insecurity when they can qualify for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, versus when they they can't because of income, because they technically make too much money. Mm. 
But Pickin County, which is where a lot of my partners are and where Aspen is, the median home price there is like one point six five million or something. It's crazy. (laughs) So if you're working in, you know, the tourism industry, you're not living there. And and that's a long for a lot of people, it's a long commute. So we think of this time poverty thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's in the mountains, so it's not like anything's easy to get to. Um, and so there's just a lot more complicatedness to that experience yeah, for kidding. those people. Yeah. My goodness. So, yeah, we're so excited. Talk to us a little bit about a, a day in the life of the, the Mueller Lab and your group. What, yeah. What, what is it sort of, we understand, of course, there is no such thing as a typical day, right? <laughs> yeah. We adjust as we need to. But yes, exactly. Yeah. Like? Yeah. So because I, I have all these data projects, I uh, I have a little group of students that are all learning how to use Stata, which is a statistical software. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's pretty nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we all sit there and code together nice. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> and um, and help each other out and all that kind of stuff. And, and so we're doing a lot of actually analysis and writing right now. Like my master's students and my PhD student are both already in that. I kind of just threw them in. <laughs> And they were good sports about it. Oh, <laughs> so, great. Yeah, great. yeah, so it's been it's been good because I think that's how I learned. And, you know, it's like trial by fire <laughs> yeah. a little cool. bit. Um, so it's, you know, and there's things that they have, like questions they have. And I'm like, I that is the stats that we need to talk to the stats help, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's been really fun. And they're most of my students are really active. Like they – I have several CrossFit coaches in my group and uh-huh. a competitive runner who, you know, I ask her about her races and she's like, oh, yeah, it was on the podium. <laughs> like, that's very nonchalantly. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> you know, she's wow. like winning races. Um, that's cool. So, yeah, so I we all sort of try to find activity within our days as well. Um, I'm even with the baby um, (laughs) (laughs) still keeping up with (laughs) just for my sanity. (laughs) Let let me run with that a little bit because we're always again interested in again the other side of life. So when you're not coding, when you're not sitting in front of a computer mentoring students, what what, what do you like to do? What are some recreational things or or, you know ways in which you find work-life balance? What does that look like for you? Yeah, I try to do something active like every day, uh-huh. even if it's just going for a walk with, you know, a longer walk with my dog or something. Yeah. Um, I just really, I feel better when I'm physically active. I, It's nice to get the fresh air. I love all the activities that Colorado has to offer, which is another reason that it was a very attractive um, place sure. to come. And so hiking, backpacking, uh, I do road biking. I don't do mountain biking. Too many yet, people. Yet. Okay, I was going to say, I know too many people that have gotten hurt. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> but um, I do snowshoe. Good. So I, I enjoy, yeah, I enjoy winter, being outside in the winter as well. And it's much nicer here than Minnesota. <laughs> so, yeah. So St. Louis to St. Olaf's and then the Twin Cities, Boston, L.A., and now here on the front range. Yeah, I know. I really, like, made my way around the country. Yeah, Yeah. it's been fun. It's really neat to to live in very, very different places Mm -hmm. and kind of find what you like about each one. And I like Fort Collins because it kind of combines some of my favorite things about 
all of those places. Like it's not too big, but if you want to get to Denver, you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's plenty. There's plenty to do here, really. Um, I like. I guess in terms of fun things to do, I like I love coffee shops. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. We have plenty. <laughs> yeah, we do, yeah. don't we? Yeah. Coffee shops and restaurants. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like there's there's plenty to do. So I have other questions about the environment. We've we've uh, sung the praises of Fort Collins in Colorado as we should. We'll talk a little bit about the, the campus environment. So of course you're part of this College of Health and Human Sciences. And as we've hinted at, we have such a range of of scholarly activity within the college. What do you like best over the course of your three years? Admittedly, some of it, you know, forced onto teams and (laughs) these sorts of things. But but being a faculty member in the College of Health and Human Sciences, what, what appeals to you? Yeah. I again I really like the interdisciplinariness. It's mm-hmm. such a unique college. It is. Yeah. yeah there's mm-hmm. so many and in fact I describe the departments in in my college to other folks and they're like, wait, how did that happen? Construction management? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. It's it's a really interesting kind of mix and I appreciate that because I think it kind of forces you really to expand your own thinking like when I went to the research day for mm-hmm. example I was like oh never thought about textile you know yeah. material and mm-hmm. for running gear or whatever right. like it's mm-hmm. just it's really it's really kind of a neat um a neat experience to be you know in this and as a lifelong learner of course <laughs> I I definitely appreciate that That's um, great. yeah yeah and the, and everybody's so nice and it's just really easy to work with everybody and you want to come to the campus mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know it's it's a nice place to be so. and we don't take that for granted yes we don't at all we don't at all <laughs> and i'm yeah. sure with your research area and what you're interested in in particular there are so many opportunities for collaboration. Like, there are. Just listening to what you study, like there's social work in that, you know. Oh, there's totally. Hospitality yeah. management. In yeah. That, you know, so. Even occupational therapy. Yeah. I have, yeah, a colleague that I um, am on a committee, her students' committee, and she reached out to me and I was like, oh, this is sort of weird, but we, we do have an overlap. Mm-hmm. And I just never would have thought that. What fun. Yeah. yeah. It's so interesting. Vision, right? I know. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like really forcing me to continue to grow, which Always. I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're nested within this, this institution that's a land grant, right? And yeah. we, we, you know, one of the things I've enjoyed in 25 years at CSU is, is, they, is they don't just pay lip service to the land grant mission. They really yeah. take it seriously. And so yeah. talk to us a little bit about how your work connects to the land grant mission and vision at CSU. Yeah. I mean, I feel really, again, I guess lucky is the right, I just do, um, being here because I think one of the benefits is because I do community engaged work and I really value being able to step back and say, this is my research area. I want to continue to build this. But I also want to talk to my community partners and really learn what's important to them. What do they care about? How can we find synergies in the things that, you know, maybe I want to ask just a little question in that, but mostly I'm focused on really achieving their goals. And that's, I can do that as part of my job. And it's not like a um, I mean, not that I wouldn't do this if it was, but it's it's not like a volunteer thing. It's like it's part of how you're, you know, evaluated here. It's very much ingrained in the mission of the university, of the college. And I love that I can I can 
do that, which is very rewarding to me. It's very like fulfilling, you know, data stuff's from, for the nerdy side of me, but the community engaged stuff is so much fun because I actually get to, again, work with people and actually learn from them and help them and have them help me. Like it's this synergistic thing where we get to build something together. And, and because it's community engaged, like often they know the infrastructure that they have, they know what they can do. Um, and they're excited to do it. They're empowered to do it. And so that's like where we see sustainable initiatives happening. Um, that's where, you know, uh, people actually feel empowered, which I, is super important to me. Um, and so that's that's something I really value about being at a land grant, specifically CSU. Yeah, and I think your work fits so seamlessly into that land grant vision. It's fantastic. Yeah. So as we come to a close on this episode, I'm really curious, what impact has your research made thus far? Yeah. And what's the impact that you hope your research and your work makes, you know, whenever your career comes to a close? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so in terms of research impact so far, um, that study I mentioned with the restaurant partner, um, Silver Diner, that I did in Boston, I've actually I was able to talk with them, with the chef basically of that restaurant and make recommendations as to what further menu changes they should make or how they should kind of restructure the way that they prompt menu items for kids or even what the alternatives are. And it's been something that I've been using now as well. So another one of my community partners, I didn't get a chance to talk about this, is um, this Healthy Beverage Partnership, which is a consortium of uh, five local public health agencies here in Colorado. And they're working really hard around the state to pass policies that would require basically restaurants to only offer healthier beverages on children's menus. Mm. And so I've been a part of um, some of those policy passings, actually. So Longmont City Council recently in, the, in this past fall actually passed this healthy beverage ordinance or healthy kids meal ordinance. That's great. Um, wow. And okay. I was able to testify in front of the council um, about this work that I had done at Silver Diner, um, which was incredibly <laughs> rewarding. I had taken a class on how to Im influence public policy at Minnesota. Oh, wow. And so I actually used... Uh -huh. work from that yeah. class. Talk about a full circle moment. I know, and I, I emailed the professor, and I was like, guess what I did? <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, so it was, it, was really, it was really neat. And I could see some of this work that I'm doing in Aspen, the Aspen area, um, also translating into big public impact for the state. Um, so that's, that's the goal, is they want, my community partners want to understand this experience of food insecurity in their region, how bad it is, what it looks like, mm -hmm. to create a five-year strategic plan to address it. So it's yeah. like, I get to be part of that process. Like, that's incredible. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, and that's such a widespread problem too, right? With you know, income disparities, et cetera, that I think it could easily be cloned, for lack of a better word, and, and you know, yeah. modified for other communities. Yeah, so we're thinking of submitting a grant to USDA to look at it both there and in Boulder. Good, um, good, good. So, yeah, trying to <laughs> be smart about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's so, awesome. Yeah. And so 30 years hence, 
to see some of these things become standard operating procedures in communities? And can you yeah. talk a little bit about what would be fun to envision 30 years down the road? Yeah, I think it would. I mean, I guess that's sort of the the long term goal, right, is to see some of these sort of smaller local initiatives really expand kind of broader yeah. in, in like more contexts and um, you know, I, I think they're great models for other places. Colorado is unique in a lot of ways, but the, some of those experiences are shared. So I think it could be big, potentially. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> you know, and I'd, I'd love to, to wrap us up with us. So these policies are adopted so that, fill, fill in the blank for me, right? So that. So that they, so basically it's easier to be healthier essentially. It. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not so hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. we, we have enough hard things in our lives. Yeah. Yeah. Like, just make being healthy, you know, the easy thing. And that's the show. Thank you for listening to another episode of Health and Human Science Matters. Stay tuned for the next episode. And in the meantime, go listen to our episodes from seasons one and two. And if you want to learn more about our College of Health and Human Sciences at CSU, go to www.chhs.colostate.edu.